0: If you guys have your Bibles with you, let's go ahead and open to what we should have finished last week, (laughs) to Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. We did finish verse 18 last week, but we're going to go ahead and pick up there just for the sake of context. And we're going to continue through the rest of the chapter, continuing through our study, of how to benefit from the power of God. I think a lot of times there's a disconnect that exists in many people's lives between the attributes of God and how you benefit from the attributes of God. And by attributes of God, we just simply mean those things that make up who God is or those things that we could understand are characteristics about God. So you have people within this room, and some of you are men, some of you are women. Those are characteristics about you. That's something about who you are. And from those principles will determine or direct maybe some actions or some attitudes. And so when you think of God, it's similar to, not exactly the same, but similar to thinking about God in those respects. And you guys know some of the attributes of God already. You guys know that he is omniscient, which means what? All-knowing, all right, good deal, good deal. And we have omnipresent, which means? Everywhere at once, once, all places at once, simultaneously. And so when we think about the power of God, what's an omni-attribute that comes to mind when you think about the power of God? Omnipotent. Omnipotent, all right. So when you think about the attributes of God, you think about these concepts, but there may not necessarily be an understanding of how I benefit from those principles, how I benefit from those attributes that are a part of who God is. And so specific to our context that we've been dealing with is that idea of the power of God. Now we can begin to recognize the power of God in many different other ways. We could begin to look at Genesis and we could begin to see God creating existence from non-existence taking things that did not exist at all, not at any point in time, and bringing them into existence by just simply speaking. By saying, let there be light and there is light. By speaking about all kinds of creatures coming forward. All those different things were coming out of nothing. And so we can see the power of God in creation. We can see... God in His creation, His master working, His artistic ability, His wonderful power in the things that are created. It's very difficult to watch a sunset and to not see beauty within it, to not see wonderfulness within it, and to not then begin to think as a believer that your God created that. Or to look at rolling mountains, or to look at snow-capped mountains, or to look at valleys and ravines, and to look at green valleys, which you may not do very much so within New Mexico, but you you can see those at some point in your life. To look at the, the beauty of nature, to look at the wonderful things that exist, to look at the expanse of the universe, and to not feel a creaturely sense within the created order that we live in is to deny God. But to see these things and to think to yourself, there must be a powerful God that exists to create these things that exist. But there's one specific principle within our context. There's one specific focus and emphasis upon the power of God that is so much more than creation. And that's what we're going to look at. And that's how we can begin to connect some of the dots that that we may have on how we can benefit from the power of God, from this attribute of God, how we can receive or derive some kind of a benefit from God in His omnipotence, in His power. And before we jump into that, let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the revelation of your power. We thank you so much for the grace that you have given to us. We thank you so much for everything that it is that you have done, that you are doing within our lives and that you will do and some things that we don't see and some purposes that have yet to be revealed of why we go through the things that we go through. But Father, we know that you are working. You are not idle. Your life is not a sabbath. Your life is a consistent working within even the minutia of your people's lives to work your greatest glory and our greatest good. We thank you so much for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start again in verse 18. We're going to read through to verse 23, and we're going to see how it is exactly that we can derive a benefit from the power of God. So verse 18 of Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart, may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power. Toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. For above all rule, far above all rule, and authority, and power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and He put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you can remember last week, we had introduced verse 18, and we began to recognize that difference that existed between the public life and the private life. And that the eyes of the heart here are not talking about the physical jelly balls within your skull but they're talking about those things that you understand within the privacy of your life within that internal private you that the apostle paul is praying that you begin to understand in the very deep recesses of your life what the hope of your calling by god of god's calling of you is and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance within the saints and so you can see that the apostle paul's desire for you that god wants you to know wants you to understand truly understand that being a christian holds so much more value holds so much more purpose than not being a christian when you think about all the different restrictions that we could begin to place upon Christians, and you may say, well, but isn't it that for freedom that Christ set you free? Yes, you've been freed from sin, but you have not been freed from obedience. You've exchanged one master for a new master, but in that exchange of servitude and slavery, you have entered into true freedom from that which is ultimately holding you down, and true slavery is that which prevents you from enjoying God. And that's the ransom that took place that we looked at several weeks ago. That the blood of Jesus Christ has ransomed you out. It has taken you out of the grips and the clutches of the muck and the mire of sinful living and lifestyles that are full of sin and have brought you into a relationship whereby you can enjoy God. So the Apostle Paul is saying is that that there is a reality that needs to be grasped, that needs to be understood by every single one of you, that you need to know that there is true hope within your life, and there are true riches within your life, and the inheritance in the saints, which is salvation, which is holiness, which is eternal life. So you need to know that, you need to understand that. And that's a huge foundational principle to know that what you have in Christ is that much more valuable than what you would have had outside of that. Now the specific focus, that kind of recaps you, but to pick up in verse 19, there's that surpassing greatness, which I believe we actually looked at a little bit last week. There is a surpassing greatness, there is a degree of excellency that exists from God towards you in his power and these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might his might is working it is not idle and it is specific in this context for you it's not something that God does to sit back and to watch your life and to observe it and to wait for his moments to get involved It is a working power. It is a working strength. It's in accordance with his power that is toward us who believe. And it is with the working of the strength of his might. And here it is in verse 20. The specific emphasis and the specific focus upon the power of God and how it is beneficial towards you, which he brought about in Christ there's that same emphasis that you've had over and over and over again of he- Ephesians chapter one. In Christ, these are the only way to receive these blessings, to be experiencing these blessings, to be a part of these blessings, to benefit from the power of God is to be in Christ, when He raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. And so the, the focus. The point and the purpose that you see within the power of God is in recognizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we could go through all the evidential apologetics. We could go through all the facts. We could go through the eyewitness accounts which you have holding there within your hand in the Bible. We could go through all of the reasons in confirming that the resurrection is true, but the fact still remains that the power of God was displayed in the resurrection. And that this is something that is for you. This is something that is beneficial for you. And there are several ways and several reasons why it is beneficial for you. The power displayed in the most important event in history is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And... Paul focuses in upon the power that God worked within Christ to raise him from the dead. Now the reason why there's a distinction between the power of God in the resurrection of Jesus and the power of God in creation is because Romans 1 tells us this is insufficient for salvation. This this over here, this is creation. This is looking around, this is walking around, this is checking the waterfalls, this is checking the endless rows of trees. This is checking the highest peaks or the lowest depths or the expanse of the universe and seeing there must be a creator and recognizing that's not going to save you. And then over here you have a magnificent event especially when you have it impressed upon you in chapter 2 that we're going to start. That being dead in your trespasses and sins is such a horrific event. Imagine yourselves as rotting corpses. Imagine yourselves as a pile of dead bones. Imagine yourselves as living within coffins and within tombs and having no ability to experience the outside world, even as it is, let alone the enjoyments of God. And the grotesque imagery of decomposing and of being worthless. There's nothing that a dead person can do that is worthwhile. There's nothing that a dead person can experience that is worthwhile. And getting that reality and hearing that God actually rose Jesus from the dead. And that that same power that works in this capacity, whereby Jesus came back to life, is the power that is working towards you. Bringing Jesus up from the dead. Bringing Jesus up from that wretchedness of decomposition and of of the inability of experiencing enjoyment and the fullness of life was something that could not hold Jesus because the power of God brought Him up from the dead. And Paul tells us in Romans that He was raised for your justification there's a specific benefit that is derived from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this power that is being worked in Christ to bring Him up from the dead is the exact same power, not in any less of a, of a capacity. It is not diminished. It is not less of a power. It's not even more necessarily. It is the perfect power of God to be able to raise Jesus from the dead placed upon you, working towards you and working for your benefit and for your good. And its initiation is seen within granting you spiritual life. Taking you out of those tombs. Out of those coffins. Bringing you up from the dead like the dead bones. Like the dry bones in Ezekiel's day that God gave those new life. Had sown muscles back onto them, had attached ligaments back into them, had created cartilage, and had wrapped these bodies around with skin to give them new life in order so that they could live. It's the same principle and is the same power that is placed upon you. So really, the greatest tragedy that you could ever experience is not Trusting in this power. Not relying upon this power. Not recognizing where this power can take you. What this power can take you through. What you can experience by being in this power. But there's that one distinct problem. Is that this power is working against sin and is working for holiness and that's the only way in which we would ever see this power and react negatively against it to see this power that God is granting to us to raise Jesus Christ from the dead this power being given to us is because this power is successful at taking away sin And that might be a problem. That might be a problem for some of us within this room if we're trying to hold on to that sin. If we're trying to hold on to that which this power works against. that it's almost like we would end up being like James chapter 1, that we would be in a position of doubting God, of not trusting in the power of God, specific in that context of granting wisdom, but we would doubt God, we would be double-minded, we would be living for, yes, God, in one aspect of our lives, but we would have a second aspect of our lives that would be living for that sin, for that pleasure that is outside of God. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, let not that person expect that they will receive anything from God and the reason is is because they're working against the power of God if the word of God were, I'm sorry the power of God were the strongest river flowing at the most intense pace and with the greatest degree of power and pressure behind it to resist this water would be futile but to flow with this water would be enjoyable. Because if you can imagine where that river takes you, and that river is simply cascading down the mountains of this life and is ever pressing more and more towards the depths of the love of God and the enjoyment of God to where you flow out into an ocean whereby you can drown in the enjoyment of God. That's this power. And as you reach for every rock of sin and every root of worldly pleasures to try to hold on to, the more difficult, the already difficult life is going to be. And that's why if you'll notice that the Apostle Paul doesn't just simply tell us of the impact and the reality of the power of God given to us. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, imagine what he can do for your life. He doesn't just simply stop there at that and allow us to run with liberty and freedom and what that ultimately means so that we can say, well, I'm going to step out and live my life and trust that the power of God is going to serve me. That would be a mistake. Notice verse 21, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is then placed at the right hand of the majesty on high, at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, verse 21, far above, far exceeding any other rule and authority and power and dominion far above every name that is named, and that's your name as well, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the Apostle Paul supplements this discussion about how you benefit from the power of God. It is your salvation, and it is that which takes you deeper into fellowship and communion with God to be able to enjoy Him more. It is this wonderful, fantastic, and amazing privilege. Paul's going to say it later on in Ephesians that he is able to do far exceeding to what you ever imagined. He then follows it up with recognizing the power of God put Christ on the throne. The power of God put Christ as your head. The power of God put Christ as your ruler. The power of God put Christ as your specific sovereign Lord. The power of God put Christ as the head of your life of which you are to be subject to. In military terminology, to put yourself under a commanding officer. You are in subjection to Christ. The Christian that attempts to live outside of the lordship of Christ is either not a Christian or is not going to succeed. The greatest place that you could end up being in your life, the most successful place, and I use that primarily spiritually, but the most successful place, the most enjoyable place, the greatest place that you can be in your life is a bowed knee to the sovereignty of Jesus. There is no other place to be. Everything outside of that is either rebellion or lostness. The best place, the most, indeed, the most rewarding place. It's not just simply a negative understanding of a tyrant king who's placed upon the throne, but it is the positive and loving understanding of the greatest king that could ever exist being on the throne and you bowing your knee to this king and owing allegiance to this king and being submissive to this king. And being obedient to the decrees and the demands of this king, because everything that he decrees, every demand that he puts into place, is for your greatest good. And he rules with absolute justice, total justice. And he rules with absolute mercy, total and complete and accomplished mercy, with grace with forgiveness, with healing spiritually within His own body for your life specifically. To bow the knee and to bend the knee to this Christ, to this Lord, is to then open up the doorway of that much more of a valuable and greater life. Understanding Christ's authority is so crucial. Notice verse 23 of how Paul capstones what he is talking about, how he places the wonderful ribbon of the point and the purpose of all of this at the end of the chapter. That in placing Jesus as your head, in placing you in subjection to Christ, and in placing Jesus as the sovereign, absolute Lord who has every freedom within His own free will to direct and determine your life for His greatest glory and your greatest good, it says that once He is installed, as He has already been, as the head of the church, that the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Do you feel like you're missing something? you feel like you're missing out on something? Do you feel like you're going through this life and you're experiencing what you're experiencing and you're seeing maybe others experiencing what they're experiencing? I was even talking with somebody on Wednesday night and it was about false teachers and talking about how somebody like Joel Osteen could be so successful... That if you were to say, Joel, the Lord is not blessing your ministry, He would just have to open up His arms to the thousands that congregate before Him and say, Is He not? Why would God bless somebody like that? And yet, the reality of the resources of this church being limited, and of the true gospel being preached here, why is it that there's not as much, if not more, of that blessing? And of course, we would be amiss to recognize that this is a blessed church. But is it something similar to that that you're experiencing within your life that if you see somebody else and you see all of the success and all the wonder that is taking place within their life everything seems to be going great for them why not me I'm feeling empty Feeling like I'm missing something. That there's something that is devoid within my life. And so I turn to a relationship. I turn to a sin. I turn to a substance. I turn to a television show even. I turn to something else to try to find fulfillment. To be filled is a creaturely desire that every single one of us has. To be filled with something. To find fulfillment or, in other words, satisfaction. I remember times, in fact, one Christmas specifically, we ate some really bad lamb. And uh, we were chunking it so much. That's slang for vomit, if you didn't get that. Just wanted to emphasize what chunking means. We were all chunking it so much that we were keeping record of who threw up the most amount of times. And uh, my brother Kevin won, but I think he was cheating. He was chugging water and Coke and all kinds of different things. I'm pretty sure he cheated. 22 was the amount of times he threw up. 22 times. I was close behind in the teens. Don't remember what it was, but uh, it's a horrible feeling. In fact, it was even worse because you wake up after Christmas and you've just unpacked all kinds of wonderful gifts. you got all kinds of wonderful things to enjoy. And then the next thing you know, you're hurled over in, in a toilet hurling in a toilet it was terrible i woke up thinking to myself man that was a great christmas dinner it was lamb that was tradition and i sit down to play the computer game that i just got for christmas and i am just and it, it was like a military game as a tom clancy something or other so i'm shooting people in the face <laughs> straight up regulating headshots left and right like it's nobody's business it was legit it was it was amazing and as I'm shooting all these terrorists, next thing I know, I just cannot sit there anymore. It's like somebody was grabbing my stomach and wringing it out like a wet towel. And so then I just chunked it in the toilet. So then you're, sli- you're laying there and groaning and moaning. Of course, and then I'm, I'm building this up, I'm sure you guys probably figure that out about me. Then I'm milking it for all it's worth. Mom, I need something. Uh, (laughs) Just like that, legitimately. And of course, it's working because, you know, my mom loves me, all that good stuff. But there's a point that, and it's probably after 10 times of throwing up, there's a point where you begin to become dehydrated. You're throwing up all the fluids and to the point where you're throwing up that green bile that's still in your stomach. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) You got to love it. It's almost like like slime from like a Nickelodeon or something like that. It's totally what it is. It's totally what it is. And it tastes terrible. It's the worst. Some of this really has nothing to do with the message. (laughs) But there gets to be a point where you are literally, like, hurting. Like, your muscles are hurting because you're dehydrated. And I remember sitting there, and of course, when you're dehydrated, the the worst thing you could hear from somebody when they actually give you a beverage is drink this slowly. You're like, nope, gonna chug that. But so, yeah, you know, you don't want to drink it too quick because you might just throw up that fluids, and then you're defeating the purpose of getting fluids back in. So there's this little tiny straw in this cup of ginger ale or you know whatever it was that i was drinking and it's like you take that one sip and you're like i want more but you can't so you have to sit there and i'm like clawing at the glass and like nursing the straw and just like really wanting more fluids and then i remember like the next day of being able to actually drink more fluids in and you just you slam in the Cokes, you're slamming the water. Of course, Cokes is terrible for you. You're slamming the water and you're just like, this is so great. There's fluid and you you can like feel it then like coursing through your veins, like hydration getting back to your muscles and everything's so much better. Man, that is such the picture of a life that needs Jesus unless you eat My flesh and drink My blood, unless you take in Christ by believing Him and coming to Him, you don't understand how much it hurts and how difficult it is to be without Him. If He is water and you are a dehydrated soul, drinking Him is the most satisfying thing you could possibly do. Taking in more Jesus will always be the most satisfying thing that you could do. That's why Jesus in John 4, when He's at the woman at the well, and He's like, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for something to drink. And talked about the permanency, the taking in Christ is like having your own well within your soul that springs up and you have ever constant go-to sources of satisfaction. He fills all in all. The purpose of this life is so that you would experience not just some of Christ, not just samplings of Christ, not just appetizers of Christ, but that you would experience all of the life of Christ. In all of your life. Imagine how it would be if I'm just hydrated in my left hand while I'm sitting there throwing up my guts. Sometimes even literally. I had to push it back down. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it's only in my hand that I feel... You guys have like horrible images in your mind right now, don't you? <laughs> like feeling hydration only in my hand and the rest of my body is still dying off. What a grotesque image that that is to only have blood supplied to some portions of your life and the rest of your life is dying off. You need to have all of your life being centered upon Jesus Christ. You feel those moments of emptiness. Those moments of maybe jealousy of somebody else. Those are moments to stop and begin to recognize God's power is for you to experience enjoyment in every single area of your life as long as Jesus is Lord of every single area of your life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You so much the power that you have given to us in jesus christ let us be stewards of that which we receive from you father let us be diligent to apply our knowledge to every area of our life that we would apply moral excellence to every area of our life that through the faith that you have given to us that we would be diligent to increase and perseverance, and self-control. And that we would not become short-sighted only seeing the pleasures that are right in front of us and not seeing the ultimate purpose and pleasure of being within your Son, Jesus, who is our head. Grant us grace to bow the knee to Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.